Let's go for it. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Scene From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening in and around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us on Twitter using the hashtag SceneFromAbove and can access the podcast in a variety of ways, including, but not limited to, our websites, jogger.co.uk and acgeospatial.co.uk, Blueberry and Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts if you head that way. Planet are going to launch in the 16, Doves. Hey. Uh, so we should be catching up with our rate but at the moment it seems like we're unlikely to be a world world record breaking year 153 things up it's a bit of a slow year this year then yeah it seems to be that way although this year i get the sense that launching is more talked about or maybe i'm more tuned to it yeah there seems to be a higher consciousness in the public sphere at the moment about launching maybe it's more tangible you know you can sort of you can almost touch a rocket launch you know you can you can sort of picture it in your mind it's always struck me as a great shame that we don't have the space shuttle anymore do you remember the excitement of the shuttle launches yeah i do i can remember being in sort of junior school and, and thinking oh there's a shuttle launch today and, and almost imagining it flying overhead yeah so i mean it's a shame isn't it that the shuttle's not there but maybe, maybe spacex is the thing that replaces that kind of excitement Anyway, <laughs> let's do some news. <laughs> yeah, I, I came across, I, I think it's quite old, but I came across this page called If the Moon Were Only One Pixel. <laughs> the visualisation of it is simple, but powerful. <laughs> I'm looking at it now, this is brilliant. You never know what I'm going to talk about, do you? I mean, we had this plan. <laughs> Massive tangent. Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, you need to go to to (laughs) this site. This is hilarious and educational. I think the biggest thing that's happened since we last spoke is Sentinel-5P, hooray, has now finally opened up its data and it's great. That's brilliant news. That really is good. So access it through the Copernicus sci-hub. And is it fairly easy to access and use? Thank you for asking that question. I've written a blog about it. And you can go and find more about it and some code, some lovely code. It's a NetCDF 4 okay. format. Not a format I've used too much in the past. I know actually it's quite a common format. I guess you've probably used it a fair amount. Yeah, yeah, I've played around with it in the past. And I downloaded a file and I thought oh, I'll just load it in QJS and it crashed QJS 3.2, which I found quite interesting, even though it does support NetCDF. Anyway, the data is now available, and you know that I think that's great. So, NetCDF is generally used to package up data that has lots and lots of different layers. Are there lots of bands within Sentinel Five P data? Uh, yeah. Okay. Lots of different um, parameters. It's early days for it. I think. I, I think we're sort of so used to having data released pretty quick. I managed to be able to display it in Matplotlib in Python. And you know, I was, you know, just took a snapshot of um, NO2. Yeah, really, really great stuff. Having daily data is going to be amazing. Um, handling it's going to be interesting. Maybe I'm being a bit unfair, but I'm expecting sort of big things from from visualising this. And you know, the the Sentinel three viewer is is really good. 
that, that that's yeah. available. And if something like that for Sentinel Five P can be built, then that's going to be great. With these data being open, I think there's there's definitely opportunities for visualization, opportunities for educational resources, opportunities for data processing up on the cloud, and also opportunities for trying to mash together information that's being collected at city level to the much broader scale data from Sentinel 5P would also be an interesting exercise, I think. And I'm sure somebody will be doing it fairly soon. Okay, before this becomes the Sentinel 5P show, in the UK, you'll know it's very hot. We are having a glorious summer, but it comes with certain issues. You may have heard of the Saddleworth Moor fire in Northern England which began on the 24th of June. It was a huge fire, um, in part because of the dry weather burning the vegetation, but also in part because the dried out peat underneath the vegetation caught fire. And the Copernicus Emergency Management Service has been monitoring that fire. And there's some really nice visualizations and, and emergency mapping that's online. And the emergency services have done a, a sterling job to combat that fire and to, to minimize the, the risk to, to the local population. And, and I mean, linked to, to the whole drying out of everything, I mean, there's a lot of reservoirs that are becoming incredibly low and there's talk of possible hosepipe bounds in the northwest. You know, we can use Sentinel-2 data or Sentinel-2 data is being used to monitor the, the decrease in, in water uh, in those reservoirs. So there's lots of ways that remote sensing can help in the management of these sort of emergencies. Yeah, the, the Copernicus service that you talked about, the um, disaster, uh, sorry, the emergency management service, that was activated quite a few times, I think, last year. And they produced some really great maps that help aid response and risk mitigation and recovery and all this kind of stuff. Uh, again, related to Sentinels, EO Compass has done this nice user interface of all the granules of Sentinel 2. Um, and I'm looking at over Europe and I'm clicking on the tile that corresponds to the one nearest to me in the UK. And it gives me statistics about number of scenes that have been acquired, average cloud cover, so I'm 59% cloudy and time between acquisitions and number of images with less than 10% cloud is, is 10% interestingly and the distribution is pretty even for clouds actually it's a sort of lightweight metadata almost about one tile um it's quite nice yeah it is isn't it i don't know how much it helps you search but it's quite nice for sort of perhaps if you were planning on a project you, you get a very quick overview of of your likelihood of cloud-free images or you know statistics about them how often you're going to get an image or, or, all that kind of stuff yeah and i've got a, a satellite status thing as well telling you last report and news about sentinel 2 and um well, all this good stuff does it tell you where it is yeah sentinel 2a is currently over taiwan maybe maybe no maybe slightly north going almost almost about to go over japan and 2B is in South America somewhere, on the, off the coast of uh, Uruguay, I think, at the time of recording. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's nice. Nice size tools as well, actually. Nice size buttons, sort of quite clear. Yeah, and nice for somebody to be doing something a little bit different, rather than just being, oh, here's a dashboard that gives you some data. I think having all of the sort of information that you were talking about before is really handy. Yep, so that's all my news. Anything, anything more oh. from you? 
I have a couple more things, um, a couple of awards. So I just want to say well done to Synergize, who are the winners of the EARSC, the ERSC, which is the European Association of Remote Sensing Companies, Company Achievement Award 2018. Well done to Synergize for uh, getting that award. And linked to that, I think, is Dust Frequency Maps. They get the European EO Product Award 2018, again from ERSC. So well done to both of those. And we'll put some links in the show notes so you can check out what they're all about. And that's the news. (laughs) Okay, so our topic this week is an interview with Claudio. So I thought, first off, you could sort of introduce yourself, say who you are and what you do at Cloudio and a little bit about Cloudio and what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. All right. So um, my name is Maria. I am the head of marketing of Cloudio and I joined Cloudio about one and a half years ago. And actually, before joining Cloudio, I had no idea about geodata, GIS, (laughs) like literally no idea. I didn't even know it existed. And now you love it. It's your favorite thing. (laughs) Really? Exactly. That's what happened. (laughs) So I joined, I had no idea about it. I had to slowly learn and I would have never expected that I would like it because I come from a totally different background because yeah, I'm, I'm doing marketing and I'm also coming from a bit more of a linguistic background. I used to be an English and Chinese teacher. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) So how are you getting on with dealing with a company that's all technical and scientific? Actually, now quite good. I I think one of my biggest talents is that I can easily adapt. (laughs) 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 I can observe and I I learn through that. Excellent. yeah, like last year, I, f- I found myself spending my Christmas holidays reading books about like um, remote sensing and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, like I, I really started to love that topic. Brilliant. Because, and I think actually that's why I'm quite a good fit for this company also because. I have a totally different perspective on things. Yeah. And we figured, we at Claudio actually figured out that a huge problem in the, in the geo sector nowadays is that most of the people who are being experts in that field already, they know where to get their data from. They know exactly what they need. They know how to process all of that data. They know how, how to handle that data. They know what to do with it and where to get it from. But those people are already served. Yeah, yeah. So, I, was talking, I was talking to someone yesterday exactly about this, and we were saying the same thing, that at the moment that we all talk to each other within the uh, industry, and we all know who's serving up what and, and things like that. But actually, it's the people who who are outside the industry, who, who need a, an easy way in. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. And, and I know that because I didn't have that background before. Now, I, sometimes I, I have to go back to that mindset because now I also know a lot more about all of these topics. 
but I always have to remind myself how it was like when I was in a position that I didn't know anything about it and I had no idea that there is so much like you can do with that data and with satellite imagery, geodata, stuff like that. I had no idea how beneficial it can be for so many different industries. And I think the main problem is that those industries don't know either. Yeah. Is that something then that you're, you're offering? What's your unique way of, of getting them to into this field? Yeah. So what, what we're trying to do is we're basically trying to, to bring the sharing economy to the world of geo and to create an ecosystem and to kind of democratize geodata and make it accessible to anyone. And that means making it accessible to those people who first don't even know about it. And that, in my opinion, has a lot to do with educating those people and trying to explain all of those complicated things in a way that different industries can understand it and like explaining it in their language. Uh, have you found that there are specific industries that are more conducive to taking this up? Like I, I work a little bit with the water industry in the UK and it seems from discussions I've had the water industry is now really starting to look at various things like water management, but also sort of catchment management and that sort of thing. Are there any, any industries that you're finding are, are really engaged with this? Um, I think there is a big movement in the agricultural industry at the moment. Okay. That especially bigger companies, they see the benefit and they want to look into that but only the really big companies manage to do that. And the smaller companies, they either don't understand it because they don't have the capacities to hire a GIS expert. So those companies need their results and their answers that they could derive from geodata. They need it in a way that they can immediately use it. So they're not interested in where does that data come from? How is it being processed? They are not interested in that. All they want is their answers that they can use like in the fields. What? That's terrible. But they, ha they don't know about Core and other brilliant bits of software that they want to install on servers and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think not everyone is interested in that. <laughs> I think this, this conversation is quite well timed, really. There's a there's a piece I saw published uh, only a few days ago called Geospatial Analytics Will Eat the World. Yeah. <laughs> it's published by um, uh, Will Cadell from Spark Geo. And, and, and it's sort of on the same premise as what, what you're saying. And I saw something this morning on Twitter saying the future of geospatial tech might, might well be a, an email alert, a report, a graph, or an ordered list. That was Jared Irish. And I thought that was about as spot on as you can be. Yeah, um, and it seems to fit in with your uh, your your sort of plan with with Cloudio. I mean, I, yeah. I think that this is, but yeah, it may well be just that someone wants uh, an Excel sheet or a CSV file. Exactly. So I I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have to look into. So, do you have a big team at Cloudio that's trying to do this? We're we're still a 
rather small company. We're around um, 20 people, I would say. Okay. Like we're mainly based in, in Munich, Germany, but um, end of 2017, um, we opened an office in Denver as well, which okay. is like very small team over there. So yeah, we're we're based in Munich, but we see ourselves as like international company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm p- passing through Munich at the end of August. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you a tough question now because oh, I, wow. okay. I think Andrew highlighted this in in the notes that we made, um, and it's about blockchain, and okay. it looks like you're using blockchain somehow, mm-hmm. and I'll admit, I probably know as much about blockchain as. Um, you knew about geospatial (laughs) so can you explain not not necessarily what it is but sort of how you're implementing it in the company and why why it's important to the company okay I'm glad you don't want me to explain what blockchain (laughs) is (laughs) because I'm definitely not the right person for that Um, I always try to understand everything but yeah, it doesn't always work. Yeah, but, I, I've looked at it a couple of times and then I thought, you know what, I'll just accept blockchain's good, hooray. <laughs> exactly, it's good. <laughs> so um, maybe I can explain a bit better when I um, by explaining you first what, what Claudio does at the moment. Okay. So we are operating an online marketplace for all sorts of geodata, geosoftware, geoIT, um, for all sorts of industries. So um, we're trying to have as many products on our store as possible from many different companies, many different satellites. So we're trying to be um, sort of a one-stop shop for all sorts of geo products. Okay. And that is rather complicated (laughs) (laughs) and um, we believe that blockchain will make it a lot easier because you have to imagine we have around 60 different products on our store from many different providers and we are a small company but even if we were a big company of course we want to have all of those services and all of the processes as automated as possible yeah yeah because that is also one thing we believe that will lower the entry barriers especially for smaller companies and non-experts a lot because the problem at the moment is that this whole geo business is very project based like governments or big companies they have their projects and they have a certain budget for that project and they can spend a lot of money on that (laughs) but smaller companies they don't have that and the problem is if you don't have that budget you can't afford to work with deal yeah and that's what we want to change and that can only happen when as many processes as possible are fully automated because then the prices can be lower and you can order products or services on a smaller scale. You don't have to buy, um, for example, a full Envy license 
because we also, for example, we offer virtual desktops where you can order that software on a virtual desktop on a subscription basis for a month if your project only lasts a month and you don't have to afford buying the full license, for example. Okay. Can I buy one pixel from you? <laughs> no, I say that in all seriousness because at the moment I'm restricted by yeah. buying 25 square kilometers and I see that as a huge barrier to entry for smaller players. You, you are absolutely right. Um, I can tell you that at the moment you cannot buy one pixel from us. <laughs> But um, maybe that's where we're going. <laughs> um, so that's exactly what we're trying. We're trying to make it as easy as possible and we're trying to make it as flexible as possible. For example, our product, we have a product, it's called Show My Site. It's a, it's a web app that you can use and it's based on, um, on Digital Globe base map. And there you can order, for example, uh, one by one kilometer images. Okay. Yeah. I mean, on, on previous pro projects that I've worked on, I would have liked to have been able to have bought 25 square kilometers, but in depth, i.e. in time. So mm -hmm. I would be happy to have spent the, whatever it is per square kilometer, 20, $25 or, or depending on the sensor, obviously. Um, but I only wanted a small area, say around a um, piece of infrastructure, maybe a, a large building or some energy infrastructure or something like that. That would be very interesting, I think, to to smaller projects, but to the wider customer who doesn't, who's just interested in the area. And the the, the wider the area they have to buy, the the more impact it is on cloud and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me if I'm wrong here. So what you are is you're effectively acting as a, a transaction between the user and the data storage. I mean, you, you haven't bought the data from all these companies. Do you somehow deal with getting the, the, those data to me? Exactly. So you don't have to worry about, okay, I need to contact Deimos. I need to contact uh, Intermap. I need to contact Harris. Okay. But we will take care of that and we will deliver everything. We will deliver a package to you. <laughs> okay, cool. What sort of analytics stuff? I mean, if, if we are talking about the, you know, this vast market that you're, that you're rightly describing, I think, but this vast market of people who, who don't necessarily have any clue what um, these images or these set sensors that, that, that have just been mentioned. Um, and they just want to know, um, you know, talking agriculturally, maybe how healthy my field is over the last six years, and they just yeah. put that. Is that something that you could you could buy? I mean, you could perhaps say, "This is this is this is the area that I'm interested in. Here's my circle shape, whatever." Um, and you know, within a period of time, could you then, on demand, produce me a report? Absolutely. I can give you a quick example. We have a product called Vegetation Vitality. And it's by high-speed computing, and we also have it as vegetation vitality monitoring. That's what you just just explained that you want to know, like what happens over time. Yep. And if you order that product, you just 
tell us, you give us your area of interest, and then we will send you regular reports on what's happening. Okay, so like a subscription service. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a subscription yeah. service. Have you heard much of the European DIAS, D-I-A-S systems that the uh, European Space Agency of uh, Copernicus are producing? Yeah, actually, we are currently working on a product. For DS. Yeah. Cool. So uh, it's going to be, we're working on a, um, a workbench for DS, like a virtual desktop offer as well. Okay. That's great. I mean, I, I think that, that DS has been, I mean, I, I really would like to know a little bit more about it. At the moment, all I see it is another service to download data. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's not going to be that, but you know, that fills me with some uh, uh, confidence that we're going to get some more services out of it. People want it easy and fast. They just want to log in somewhere and they have everything there. They don't want to look for for their data or, or products or whatever it is. One of the um, podcast episodes that we did recently was about skills and what skills are required in Earth observation at the moment. I was just wondering what sort of skills are important in Cloudio. Yeah, it is a lot of IT because one of the most important things we offer is the whole infrastructure of like the online marketplace and, and the infrastructure that is behind that. So all the other orchestration, all the processes, the accounting, the billing, the reports that go to our partners, all of that, that's, yeah, all yeah. IT stuff. But also... Um, geo and gis knowledge of course we have people here as well that are specialized in remote sensing and they help our partners to design the products to describe the products to support the customers and that's really important that yeah. that whole sort of educating and guiding people to to get the right thing yeah i have that conversation myself quite a lot with with clients in the teaching business people always say that no matter how good you are at something no matter how well you think you understand something if you're not able to explain it you haven't understood it that well <laughs> and i think it's really true so is, is there a data set that you don't have at the moment that you you really want to have or that you're trying to get in there or, or are you just sort of growing it organically and trying to get relationships with the the data companies um most of it is growing organically we recently became an ESRI partner, which was super important to okay. us. Yeah. So that's what we were working towards for a long time. Um, I'm conscious of time, Andrew. Is there yeah. anything you want to, to quickly ask? Or... It's been really, really interesting. And, uh, you know, we wish you all the success. I think, you know, you've got a huge, I'm just looking at your store now. You've got a huge amount of information in there. It's all. But what I was going to ask you was, I mean, I know you, you know, you're relatively new to the to the industry. We had a sort of silly podcast once where we talked about our favourite sensors and stuff. Do you, do you do you have a favourite sensor? I mean, maybe that's a bit of an unfair question. But... <laughs> well, I love CompSat imagery <laughs> because it's just beautiful, and I am always amazed with like how sharp it is and how clear it is and yeah, I just love browsing through that imagery. I think that is where we're going to have to end it. Thank you very much for being our first interviewee. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't too painful a, a process. 
No, not at all. Thank you for having me. It was very interesting and a lot of fun. Okay, so I think we should probably wrap up there. Uh, if you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then drop us a line through Twitter. You can contact Andrew at, at map underscore Andrew or me at AJG Jogger. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can reach us at hashtag scene from above. Please do leave a review on iTunes if you're over there. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you. And goodbye. That's absolutely out of batteries. <laughs> <laughs>